Amen. So just to introduce myself and the ministry that I represent, Peacemaker Ministries has been around since the 1980s, founded by Ken Sandy, Sandy in Billings, Montana. And so uh, many of you, if you've gone to university, you'll have read his book. We've been in 100 countries. Um, we, our, our original book's translated in, I think, 20 different languages. And so we've helped millions of people uh, reconcile their differences from a biblical approach. Now, sometimes when we're talking about conflict and we're talking about things, people are like, how, how do you measure success? And we like to say this, if you haven't killed each other, we're doing pretty good. Because God's first counseling session was with Cain and Abel. He counseled Cain and he, Cain went out and murdered his, his brother. So we, uh, we know that we have no control over the outcomes, but we can provide a, a fair process. And so uh, that's what Ken started out is to keep uh, Christians out of court and then our next CEO took over and moved it to Colorado Springs, and it just struggled. The ministry struggled, and I had written the new material, The Path of a Peacemaker, for them. And so about two or three years ago, they called us. In 2017, they called me and said, Brian, we're going to close down the ministry. Uh, from 50 staff members, $10 million budget, we're going to close it down. It's just not working. And I said, I'll take the curriculum and the ministry, and you stay on the board. And so we have a board of directors, and we'll get this thing going again. So I'm pleased to announce that last year we administered to well over 4.5 million people, uh, either from a touch point to mediation to what, whatever we've done to, to uh, read one of our devotionals. And so you can check us out. We're all over. It could be a podcast. If you have a YouVersion Bible app, we're on there. Facebook, Facebook Live. We have a show. We have a, you know, just, you, you'll find us if you look at Peacemaker Ministries. Um, that's a little bit about the ministry. My family, I have one wife. And two, two, or four children. And so uh, my wife, Tanya, and I have been married since 1997. And, uh, and we, I was raised in actually Grandview, Washington, Yakima Valley. And then in 92, I came uh, to Spokane, Washington. And that's where I found Jesus. I had a huge alcohol problem starting at the age of 12. And came here and was partying up and said, Jesus, if you're real, you got to show yourself to me. And my grandma sent me a birthday card, and she said, I'm sure you're going to church, which was, I was not going to church. If not, here's three addresses, you know, and she put that in the, in the birthday card, and so I showed up at church, and they knew my grandfather, and they just assumed that I was a Christian who moved to uh, the Spokane area, and so they taught, had me teaching Sunday school, and I knew nothing about the Bible. I mean, the, and so they stopped, and they're like, whoa, whoa, you don't know anything, and so uh, we'll have you drive the bus, and so I drove the bus, and then they said, how old are you? And I said, 18. You said, you're not even old enough to drive a bus, and so they took me off that ministry, and I just, I, I went through Bible school, and I, I learned a lot, came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior uh, in, in the early 90s, and uh, then I pastored up in Deer Park, Washington, and uh, at a little youth ministry up there, and that grew from four kids to about 125 kids, and came to Post Falls, and I split that church uh, at the age of 26. People sometimes say, what do you mean when you say you split a church? And I sometimes think, well, am I not communicating well enough? Like half the church went this way, and half the church went that way. And uh, that's what drove me into peacemaking. Uh, I was like, there's got to be a better way, and that's when I learned about Ken Sandy, and uh, I started studying. So I pastored up in Sandpoint, Idaho and uh, for 10 years. And we made a culture of peace up there where we took a small church who had already gone through a split. And we grew it to where now they're ministering to uh, probably 1,000 on, on a weekly basis. And, and we came uh, from Sandpoint down to back to the valley. I, my, my kids are, my oldest son is Isaiah. He's 20. 
and he's a barber in Spokane and married to Rachel, who's a beautician. My daughter, Isabella, she's special needs, and this is part of why we moved. Uh, she's never walked or talked. She'll be here in second service. She's wheelchair bound with a trach and a G-tube, and we couldn't get enough medical care in Sandpoint where we needed uh, nursing care. So we came down to Spokane, and, uh, and that's why I always say I have one wife, because we have nurses with us all the time. And so Valley Assembly people are like, is this your wife? I'm like, no, that's Isabella's nurse. Thank you. That's awkward. You know? And so uh, and then we have Gideon, and he's an April 1st child. I tell you what, don't teach your kids peacemaking, and I'll tell you why, because they will remind you at the most inopportune times, right? Gideon will say, Dad, isn't the cross big enough when Mom and I are having a little Christian discussion? And I'll look at Gideon and say, if you say that again, I'm going to nail you to the cross. <laughs> so uh, he's our April 1st kid, and then we have Gabriel, and he's, uh, he's 12, and he's our little angel. We'll say, hey, Gabriel, will you clean your bedroom? He said, it'll be my pleasure to clean my bedroom. But uh, that's my family, and so we live in Spokane Valley, Washington, and we love it uh, just, just uh, seeing our family grow and, and mature and, and things of God. Sometimes I'm asked, is there a secret sauce to reconciliation? And that's what I plan on sharing with you. What we're going to receive over the next four weeks is actually my, my newest book that's coming out. Uh, I'm fi- finishing it up with Baker Publishing, and uh, we're not sure of the title. Sometimes when you, when you work with publishers, they change things. But I think the title is going to be The Reconciler and, uh, and uh, Secrets from God's Word to Reconciling Your Relationships. That's what I'm thinking. But sometimes, I, I don't know if you've ever published before, but they change stuff as you go. So if you'd like to check out my book, it's The Path of a Peacemaker uh, by Baker Publishing. You can check that out. So if you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'll tell you a little bit about my style. If you want me to get uh, more rambunctious, I've already had six shots of espresso this morning and a cup of coffee. And so you just say amen and hallelujah, and I just talk louder. And uh, that's kind of fun. And if you want me to quiet down, um, well, that just doesn't happen. So, because I'm, I'm passionate about God's word, and I'm excited because there is truth in God's word that can help you reconcile with those around you. And sometimes I look at this, we're going we're to read the verses that we're going to cover today, and then I'm going to back up and kind of go through it. So it says this in 1 Corinthians 15, now I will remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached you, which you've received, and which you stand, and by which you are saved, 1 Corinthians 15, 1, and by which you are saved, if you hold fast the words I preached to you, unless you have believed in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance that also I receive, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Verse 7. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, he ultimately appeared to me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray as we dive into this word that you will transform our hearts, God, from the inside out, God. Lord, I can only imagine the the conflicts and the tension and the stress that those are in in this uh, this congregation. Lord, I pray that it won't be my words, but it'll be your word that transforms them. God, I pray that they will sense and they will know that your presence is with them, that you go before them in all things that the gospel message is not something that just starts at salvation and then somehow changes when it comes to our relationships. 
God, that you will help us to embrace your gospel message. In Jesus' name, amen. Now he says this, now I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel. So let's talk a little bit about the gospel message, because what I find in the church as I've traveled around the world talking on peace and reconciliation is that Christians sometimes have a theological theory in their mind about what the gospel is, and they have the right Sunday school answer. For instance, if you are around Baptists, oftentimes you'll be teaching, and they will say every answer is Jesus, right? You'll say blah, 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 they'll say Jesus, if you're around a Pentecostal, every answer is the Holy Spirit, right? Is it, I don't know what evangelical freeway every answer is for, the, for them. If you're at Seventh-day Adventist, everything's Sabbath, right? So we have these, these answers that we have up here, but somehow in our relationships this way, it seems like it's a different answer at times. For instance, I'll get a call from a pastor that says, my board is crucifying me, and what do you think I should do? I said, just die more. They said, that's not what I wanted to hear. Right? Because we somehow separate the gospel message in our daily lives from, from our theory of how we come to salvation. And so I want to encourage you or think about this statement. Is it the same gospel that reconciles us to God? Is it that same gospel that will reconcile us to each other? I want you to think about this this morning because I think sometimes we think of the Old Testament as one gospel and the New Testament as another gospel. And yet what we see in Scripture is that God foreseen that he would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. What was preached beforehand to Abraham? The gospel. So the gospel was preached to Abraham. Now, is it different gospels? Is it the same gospel we just read in 1 Corinthians 15? I would propose to you today that it's the same gospel. In fact, when Abraham went up to offer his son uh, as a sacrifice, the same gospel makes sense. If it's a different gospel, it doesn't make sense. That's why in Hebrews chapter 11, it says that Abraham believed in the resurrection. And you see that it's the same gospel. What Abraham believed in that moment was that he was going to sacrifice his son and God was going to resurrect him from the de dead. Death, burial, resurrection, appearance. And what we get entangled up in our minds is, is that we have the law after Abraham and we get confused by it because we begin to think of the Old Testament as all about sacrifices, about the law. When in the Old Testament, every sacrifice was to point them to the gospel. It's the same gospel, church. And so if you have multiple gospels in play, whether it's now at your salvation gospel, this is how I'm saved, but man, when I'm gonna reconcile with somebody else, I'm going to embrace something different. And I find it in the church all the time. Great orators of the scriptures will oftentimes be, be in their own personal relationships. We've helped them over time. They'll miss the gospel message. And yet they can go through this word and they can, they can share things that just drop your jaw and you're like, whoa, that's amazing. But their home life or their private life is something different. And I want to encourage you as we go through this that in the Old Testament they were looking forward to the coming Messiah, the gospel, death, burial, resurrection, and appearance. And the New Testament were looking back at the same gospel message, death, burial, resurrection, and appearance of Jesus Christ. It is one gospel. It has always been the same gospel and it has never changed. So what we're going to do is we're going to go at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to go down from verse 3 and go down and then we're going to skip back up and get some application there. So look at verse three. For I deliver to you as of first importance that Christ died, to say Christ died. 
Say it again. Christ died. This is the first aspect of the gospel. That Jesus Christ died on the cross. And look at this. It's interesting because he says, for I delivered you those first words that Christ died for our sins. What's sin? Sin is a break in relationship with God or a break in relationship with each other. And Jesus Christ died on the cross for our breaks, our sins, both with God and with each other. And look at this. It says, in accordance with what? The scriptures. Now, Paul would have been saying to us, I'm talking about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Psalms, Proverbs, the prophets. That's what he's referring to right there. So if that's the case, I should be able to go through those, what we would now call the Old Testament, and find the prophecy about the death of the Messiah, right? According to the scriptures. And it begins to make sense when you start thinking through the sacrifices, because they were all pointing, just like communion points us to the gospel, the sacrifices in the Old Testament point us to the gospel. So it says this, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. So we have death, that he was buried. Let me ask you a question. What is burial? What is the relationship between burial and death? Feel free to talk back if you like this morning. If you're dead and they bury you, what's burial? It's a proof of death, right? Besides the movies, we don't bury live people typically, right? If you have, we don't want to know about it right now anyways. So the evidence of that you're dead is that you're buried. And this is where I believe that in our relationship with God, it's important. We know like when we come to repentance and we come to that place where we've surrendered our lives to God, we're like, I get it. But in our, our earthly relationships, do we somehow forget to bury stuff? I think some of us are more grave diggers than we are burial people. We go back to stuff. I mean, how many of you have ever had a spicy uh, conversation with your, with your spouse? And all of a sudden, your mind is filled with history of stuff that they've done. Is that just me? Okay, well, it's probably because I'm on the other side of state line right now, right? What am I saying to you is, is that when you put it in the grave, leave it in the grave. It's dead. It's done. And some of you need to get over yourselves thinking you're that important. You're just not that important. People don't like when I preach like that. See, what I'm saying to you is the more important you think you are, the more conflict you're going to find yourself in. I remember when I was the first time, when I was pastoring, lead pastoring here in Post Falls, it's really weird when you preach in your hometown because, you know, when I'm usually in Texas, they don't know where Post Falls, Idaho is. You know, they don't know. So I can just say whatever I want and say, oh yeah, those people are the best up there and all this kind of stuff. And I can remember driving around the town and I was waving at everyone like I was really important, right? And people were like, who's the crazy dude here, you know? See, when you realize that we are just not that important, and we, our culture doesn't like to hear that, because we have Facebook every day telling people how important we are. We take picture, pictures of our food, our dog, our cats, everything else. We're so important. And I'm here to tell you, you're not that important. At least your flesh is not that important. You're going to find this out, because there's another part of the gospel. Death, say death. Burial, say burial. 
Now, some of us, we stop there in the gospel. We're all about die, 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 die. Repent, 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 which is true. We should. But guess what? There's more to the gospel. It says that he was raised on what? The third day according to what? Isn't that important? So in the Old Testament, I should find some third day resurrection stuff. Is that accurate? Jonah and the gigantic fish. I can't say well because it comes out. I, I can't say long A's, so I always change it to fish. Jonah and the gigantic whale. <laughs> I don't know. My family's from Oklahoma, and they just, we don't say long A's. So what I'm saying to you is, what was that? when did he get spit out of the well? The fish. What? The third day. He went from death to burial into the belly of the well, and he got spit out, resurrection, and he went and had a bad attitude. Yeah, that's what some of you do. You, you start thinking about this resurrection. It's the newness of life that God provides. So we have that he raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he, what's that next word? He appeared, it says. If you resurrect and you appear, what is the relationship between appearance and being raised from the dead? It's proof. What is the relationship between burial and death? Proof. Evidence. What is the difference between resurrection and appearance? Proof. See, this is where we have to get our proofs back into our relationship with God. Somehow we've taken out the evidence part of it. And so we have these four words, these four actions of Christ, that he died for us, that he was buried, that he resurrected, and that he appeared. This is the most concise portion of scripture that lays out the gospel very clearly. Now here's what I know about my life, is that there's some who only talk about being brand new and never say you need to repent. We need the whole gospel preached to our children in relationships. Kids, stop doing this and start doing that. Hey, you can't have that behavior because you're a child of God and you're brand new. Some of us in our parenting, we only stop on the don'ts. We don't ever start on the do's. We need some do-do's going on around here. What am I saying to you? Even in our own mind, we think that Christianity is limited to the things that we're not going to do. Can I tell you that in Jesus Christ, there's a bunch of stuff you get to do. You get to experience his life. You get to experience his freedom. You get to experience a newness of life. I had a young lady tell me, say, I won't experience life if I, go, if I don't get to go to prom. I'm like, really? That's life. Now, there's nothing wrong with prom. That's not my point. But there's a greater life in Jesus Christ than ever going to the prom. If that's your final destination, oh, Lord Jesus, please help us. See, I just know that there's a full gospel. That's why, why are certain songs so, so compelling? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a death and burial like I once was death and burial, but now I'm resurrection and appearance. I was blind, death and burial. 
resurrection appearance. That's why that song has carried on from generation to generation. It's a gospel song. Think about this. What is the gospel message? Is it the same gospel that saves you? Is it the same gospel that reconciles you to the other people? Now, some of us, when we start hearing about this death, burial, resurrection, and appearance stuff, we think we're just talking about sweeping stuff under the carpet. Did Jesus, when he died on the cross, sweep sin underneath the carpet? That's not what he's talking about. Yeah, there's no way he did that. He died for it. That fourth Sunday, we're going to talk about injustice. But I want you to hear this. If you have a, broke, a break in relationship, that I want you to hear that the gospel that saved you is the same gospel that will keep you reconciled to God and to each other. So you need to die more. Look at the person and say, you need to die some more. Go ahead, tell the person next to you. And then tell them, because newness of life is coming. Some of your self-talk, you need to begin to begin, understand that your self-talk needs to transition from, I stopped doing this, man, I get to do that. You're not talking to a guy who hasn't experienced some sorrows in life, who hasn't made some dumb choices in life. But what defines me more? Does it define me more the Jack Daniels that I found at the age of 12 and got consumed with for eight years or seven years of my life? Does that define me more, or does Jesus Christ, I am brand new in Christ Jesus, forgetting what lies ahead, behind and pressing on to what lies ahead. That's what defines me. And I'm telling you this morning that when you begin to understand this gospel message, that you begin to understand it in your relationships, it's less about being right, and it's more about dying to self and walking in that newness of life. How does this gospel, does it even play out in our relationships? That's why Ephesians 4, 31, 32, I put these up, all these references I'm giving you at the top of your notes so you can go back and read them if you like. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. He says death and burial. Be kind to one another, resurrection and appearance, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Isn't that powerful? We are to forgive how God forgives us. He says, I want you to take and put all of this stuff in the tomb, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander. I want you to put it and bury it. And notice he doesn't just say, stop there. Because if you ever haven't noticed that when you have an empty hole, something will fill it. Have you ever been at the beach and you dug it up and then you have a nice little castle there? And you come back and it's like filled back in and the hole's no longer there. See, it will be filled up with something and I want to tell you, you want to fill it up with God's kindness, with tenderheartedness, we're forgiving each other. Just as Christ Jesus has forgiven you. Now how did Christ Jesus forgave us? He died for us. The, the, the just died for the unjust. He was buried for us. It wasn't based upon my works, and yet sometimes in my relationships, I ain't going to forgive him until they apologize. Could you imagine if God had that attitude? We would all be going to H-E double hockey sticks right now. What I'm saying to you is we can't have that attitude of reconciliation based upon someone else's response. Think about that for a moment. 
I'm going to only reconcile with mankind based upon their response. What does he do? He dies anyways and woos us to the cross, woos us to repentance, woos us to newness of life. Look at this one. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, Philippians 2, 3, 8, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. This is why I said you're not important. Let each one of you look not only to his own personal interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind or attitude among yourselves, which was also in Christ, whom though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. But what did he do? He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I'm not so naive to think that there's some who are sitting here today and they're thinking of a relationship that's been troubled, that's been strained. Can I tell you, if someone doesn't want to reconcile with you because of the cross, you can always reconcile with them. Now, it may not mean that we have an earthly relationship that's 100% perfect and we want to go to potluck together. But we can begin to see them through the lens of the cross and say, you know what? They're a fellow human being created in the image of God and I'm going to love them. Say, I don't feel like loving them. I didn't ask what you feel. Why does everyone in the United States now talk about their feelings? All, everywhere we go, I don't feel like that. Could you imagine? Jesus, like, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's like, I don't feel like going to the cross. I'm not doing it. Not doing it, God. No. He said, he acknowledged his humanity in that moment. He says, God, if there's any way to take this cup from me, but what? Your will be done. See, our relationship with Jesus is not a feeling. Our reconciliation with each other, I haven't felt like forgiving them yet. And that's where I'm asking you, do you have the same gospel that reconciles you to God that is there to reconcile you with someone else? Now, some will say, Brian, but you don't know what so-and-so did to me. You're right, I don't. But I can tell you one thing. You will never get your reconciliation based on repayment here on earth. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day. We serve a just God. And Peter, I, I believe where David was reading earlier, if you went down a little bit further, it said something about entrusting himself to the God who judges righteously. Or it might have been a little bit before that, I'm not sure. But that Peter section, it talks about Jesus continuously entrusted himself to the God that, uh, that judges uh, justly. And in the hard thing that you experienced, I guarantee this. I guarantee that you will have more days whole and complete in the presence of Almighty God than you will ever have in this fallen world in which we live. Do you want your justice now or do you want your justice then? For to this you've been called this is 1 Peter. 
because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you may follow in his footsteps. Why is it we avoid the cross so much? We love it when people raise their hands, they get baptized, they do whatever, however that works out for, for you guys. We love that, the declaration of salvation. We love that fact. But when it comes to following in the footsteps of our daily lives, the footsteps of Christ in our daily lives, sometimes we avoid it at all costs. Here's my start. And I know that was a long introduction because I had to get through all that to get to this. In verse one, it says this. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel I preach to you, which you have received. So point number one is this. There is only one gospel. Receive it in your relationships. Now some of us are waiting for the other person to die to receive the gospel into our relationships. That's not the gospel message. The gospel message is the 100% right died for the 100% wrong. But some of us in our relationships, we're like, we're 100% wrong, which, by the way, I don't believe that typically happens, but I'll give you the benefit of the doubt today. Some of us, we're believing that they're 100% wrong and I'm 100% right. I'm just waiting for them to die to be reconciled to them. No, receive the gospel message into your relationships. When you find yourself in the middle of a pig pen of broken relationships, I challenge you to come to your senses. To look to your heavenly father and say, God, I trust you. We have to receive the gospel message and let go of all bitterness, of all anger. Some of you in your marriages, you have been married because, well, you're a Christian and you just don't get a divorce. But you know what? Your kids need to see a healthy relationship where bitterness has exited the marriage because true forgiveness has come in and you said, I've let it go. I put it in the grave. And not only have I put it in the grave, but here's some newness of life. That man is a child of God. He's been bought with the price. He is brand new. I consider him no longer according to his flesh. I now consider him according to the spirit of God within him. Some of you have been looking at your wife and you've been thinking, well, she nags me, nags me, and nags me, and nags me. Like, you know, like, it's kind of like Charlie Brown. Rah, 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 rah. And what I'm saying to you is this. I'm saying that there have to come to our senses that she is the bride of Christ. She has been bought with a price. She is amazing. And you begin to fall in love all over again. And what am I saying? Is that if we have to, we need to begin to receive the gospel message into our relationships. Now look at this. The second part of that verse. That gospel, he says this, I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand. Where are you standing? Today, are you standing on the fact that you want to be right? I did the Ancestry.com or whatever it was called to figure out, you know, uh, what I was, because I didn't know. And so... I always thought, well, I, I must be, you know, I'm, I must be German because I'm very opinionated and stuff. 
Found out I'm not German at all. I have some Norwegian, some Swedish, a little bit of Jewish. You know, I was like, oh, maybe that's what it is. It's the Jewishness in me. And so sometimes we stand in our culture or our heritage and we just say, well, that's just who I am. And that's, no, 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 you stand in the gospel. Standing in the gospel means that you stand as Christ stood or hung on that cross. You bury the old man and you begin to walk in the new creation that God has given you. You take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. You say, I am no longer going to define that person in that way. I am now going to define them through the blood of Jesus Christ. Standing in the gospel means like Abraham when he took his son up to, to sacrifice him. He stood in the gospel message. He says, God, I have this promise. I know that God is faithful, that God is good, that God will change me and challenge me. I know that God can resurrect from the dead. So I'm standing in that promise. Now we can't just make up our own promises. They got to come from here. Trust me, I tried to get like a Porsche one time standing in a promise. I'm, I'm joking, of course, right? He doesn't care about our possessions. He cares about our salvation. These are the promises we get to stand in, not just stuff we make up. So we stand there. It's at the cross. It's where we humble ourselves and we repent. Sometimes people say, well, I'm not going to repent for something I didn't do. Really? That sounds like Jesus. I, Brian, you're asking me to be humble and to, to apologize for something that, 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 that wasn't my intentions or my motives or my premeditation. Okay. Aren't are we to walk in the, does it, but you impacted their, their life in a negative way. I mean, you, you sinned against them, but that wasn't what I meant. I'm, I, am I missing something here? Because the gospel message was 100% righteous died for 100% right, unrighteous. He stood in the gospel message. And we show, we stand showing that new resurrected power flowing, flowing through us. Your mind, your will, and your emotions will lie to you. You have to bring them to the obedience of Jesus Christ. What God has to say about you is way more important than what you have to say about yourself. What God has to say about the other person is way more important than what you have to say about them. It's hard when you live in a small town or a, a, a community where, uh, that you've been together for a long time because sometimes people's past will say, well, I just know that's how they are. Was well, that according to their fallenness or according to their redemption? Now, you, you're asking, you may be going in your mind, so do I give out blind trust? Do I just, you know, someone has a bad pattern and we just blindly trust them? I always think it's important that we do this. That we're in relationship and we bring hope into situations. We rebuild, we retrust, we grow with them. So if you come over and, and I don't know where David went, but I'll insult him, but if David comes over, it's still a hundred bucks from my, from my table. Well, first it'd be a miracle if there's a hundred dollars on my table, but he steals it. Next time he comes over, do I put the hundred dollars back out? Of course not. I don't want my brother to stumble. In fact, if he's truly repentant, he may pay three times that amount back. It's not about restitution or removing restitution, but what I don't do is say he's a 
child of the devil. He's going to hell and there's no hope. I begin to say, you know what? We all make mistakes. I forgive him. He needs to pay it back, even with interest maybe, even with more maybe, you know, to make restitution. But I know there's hope for him and I'm going to show him the gospel message. It's not about removing accountability. The gospel was the greatest act of accountability. It's so hard for us to grasp that because we stand and exercise. So what's this next point? There's only one gospel. Stand in that gospel in your relationships. Now look at this, next verse, 2a. By which also you are saved if you hold fast the gospel message. I love this because it talks about holding fast the word which I preached to you, or holding fast to the word which I gave to you. I, I, I always try to figure out how to describe this portion. Because it could look like God's running from us and we're holding on to his coattails as he goes, and we're just hoping that we're saved. And I don't believe that whatsoever. I think it's more like this, like we're in the hand of God and he's technically holding us. And as he's holding us, we're holding on to him. That's how I see it. I see God's holding on to me and I'm holding on to him. It's an embrace. It's, a, it's, it's primarily I'm in his hand and I've just got one of his, maybe his pinky finger and I'm just holding on or his big finger and I'm just like, okay, God, we're together in this. There is only one gospel. Hold fast to it in your relationships because it's holding fast to you. Have you thought about how that gospel message can change and transform a heart and a mind? Now look at this fourth thing. Unless you have believed in vain. I don't know how many of you have done premarital counseling, but it's really cute as a pastor, right? Because I was probably as naive as all those who've come into, who I've had the opportunity to marry. And they come in and they'll sit down in your office and you're like, so tell me your story, tell me a little bit about yourselves. And so they tell you a little bit about yourselves and themselves. And then I'll say something like, well, why do you think you should get married? And they're like, because uh, we're exactly the same. And I look at him and say, I give you uh, 12 hours. And you're going to realize you're exactly the opposite. What am I saying to you is that sometimes we start in this naive idea of the gospel that we just think it's, oh, it's so great. No, the gospel message on this side of heaven is dying to self and walking in newness of life. Jesus said, pick up your cross daily and follow me. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about sanctification right now. I'm talking that he's refining us right now to understand that gospel message. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. How? Because it's the gospel. We know on the other side of the trial is God's resurrection power that we can walk in newness of life. Vain belief. The opposite of this Greek word is purposeful belief. So I have, we have a client, and um, I had some expectations in my heart of what was going to take place. And I was flying to a place in uh, Oklahoma, 
and uh, to their headquarters. And I was under the impression I was going to have this type of meeting with the chaplain. And so I called up to verify the appointment. I had gotten down to Denver, and the phone didn't answer, which was odd. And I left a message, and then she called back. She said, a little bit later, before I got in my next flight, she said, I'm so sorry. I totally forgot about this appointment. I had gone into surgery because she had an emergency surgery. It, it just, I just can't, I'm in the hospital. I can't come. And I had placed my hope into that meeting, right? Like I had, I'm flying to Oklahoma for this very important meeting. At least it was very important in my mind. And I was like, okay, Lord, my joy is going out the window. And I'm like, oh, it's okay, get better. You know, we had our meeting later. It wasn't like it was the end of the world. But how many of you guys know like those disappointments that can come in at times? And I remember walking through the Denver airport and I'm like, oh, and I was feeling crushed, down, pressed, you know, all those things that, you, that says we're not. And I was like, I am. And so I remember thinking, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but on Christ the solid, all other ground, all other ground. And I've always wondered why they repeated that. It's emphasis, that's exactly right. And sometimes this purposeful belief, when it comes out to practical application, can be very difficult. Where you say, I'm not going to believe in vain. Church, we're not at our final destination yet. When we exit this plane, we'll be in this fallen world. And we're we bear the image of Christ to others, and we can bring hope. Next week, we're going to talk about having an eternal perspective. How do we get perspective on the injustices of this world? I'm going to ask the keyboard player to come for just a second, and I want every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Maybe you're here today, and you say, Lord, I need to invite you I need to invite the gospel message into a situation that I'm dealing with. And you want to say, Lord, will you teach me to die to myself, to bury all the past hurt, to begin to redefine that situation with newness of life that only comes from your word through your spirit and that newness of life I can show to others Lord will you use me in this way to reflect your glory to the other person or persons if you need to invite the gospel message into a life situation today I just want you to stand to your feet and I want to pray for you this morning. I know it takes a bold step. But if that's you, I just want you to stand this morning and say, would you step into this situation in my life?
Heavenly Father, although I was already standing, I, I have one specifically in my mind. And you see my brothers and sisters in Christ who are also standing, God. Lord, will you teach us to die to ourselves? Will you teach us to bury the old self? And Lord, can we show the work of your word in our hearts and in our lives, your spirit working through us, God? That newness of life can flow out of us, God. God, help us not to define people more by their fallenness, but begin to define them by the redemptive work you're doing within them. Lord, would you comfort us in this time? Would you guide and direct us by your word? Lord, we know that we have no control over the other person. I know I have no control over the other person, nor do I have control over how they respond to the gospel inside of me. But Lord, I pray that despite their response, we would bring you glory. Would you help our emotions to glorify you? Will you help our desires for justice to glorify you? Would you help our thoughts to glorify you, God? We surrender our inner self to you, God. And we command our souls, as he did in Psalms 42, to place their hope in you. God, we just command our inner self to place our soul, our mind, our will, our emotions to place our hope in you, God. God, let us not try to control the outcomes, for God, you are in charge of that. You are sovereign. Lord, here in this moment, let us live the gospel message out in our daily lives.